Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed, a podcast. Indeed. My name is William Bibiani. <laughs> I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Indeed, it is a podcast. My name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, people call me the Crypt Keeper. No, nobody calls me that. <laughs> oh, ow. Ooh, I got oh, to my side. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do my Crypt Keeper voice. It's well, welcome to Critically Resurrected. Criti- critically, critically exhumed. Critically maimed was right there. Critically ec- maimed. Ec- maimed. Critically maimed. <laughs> I, I'm really. I, I pulled something on my side earlier today. It hurts to laugh. Um, we, uh, this is the podcast where we put out polls to our listeners. Uh, we give you a poll of four films that one or both of us hasn't seen in the past from a particular uh, streaming service, and we alternate. Yes regularly so that everyone gets a chance hmm. um and yeah we put it to our patrons over patreon.com slash critically claimed network you guys get to choose what we're going to review and uh this week a little late this week sorry about that lots of busy business things happening oh yes uh this week we were going to the 1950s on the criterion channel no shortage of great films from the 1950s in general, and certainly no shortage on the Criterion channel. Uh, and you picked a film that I haven't seen since I was very, very small, and I guess okay. uh, Whitney had never seen. Uh, mm. It is one of the most famous performances from one of the most famous performers ever. Yeah. And it is a film that is often uh, revered as a comedy classic, and it is a film that, frankly... Gave me the creeps a little bit when I watched it this time because there's some there's some under uh, there's 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 some stuff we got to talk about, uh, but let's talk about a film of starring James Stewart and a six foot tall invisible rabbit named Harvey. We predict you'll greet Harvey with laughter and rousing applause. How do we know? Because for five long years, audiences did just that on Broadway for the most talked about Pulitzer Prize winning comedy of our time. And now at last, Harvey comes to the screen, better, richer, funnier than it ever was on the stage. Starring James Stewart as Elwood P. Dowd, America's most amiable citizen. With hilarious Josephine Hull and a grand cast. And once again, the critics are raving. Um, they might be giants. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, part of, I guess you could call it kind of a mini subgenre unto itself. What's that? Which is, it's uh, a type of lighthearted comedy film about mentally ill people hmm. whose mental illnesses are seen as kind of a, a, a peculiar virtue. Well, they're, they're seen as inspiring. Yeah, in a way yeah. where someone, this person is is experiencing some sort of mental health episode. They believe in something fantastical. Mm. Uh, M- uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street is another example. Here's a guy Miracle, who believes yeah. he's actually Santa Claus, and uh, the whole idea is is the they... world is the world yeah. possibly a better place for people having benevolent delusions? Yeah, uh, very. Which is something that Frank Capra, I think, that's uh, you can't take it with you. Like these these mm. people live by this really kind of bizarre. 
uh, sort of code. I think it's more of, of a milder behavior, version of yeah, that, but the, they're they're just like outcasts and don't care about what yeah, society there, thinks. And there's a good film, for them. There's a film called They Might Be Giants. It's where the band got their name. Uh, about George C. Scott, who believes he's mm-hmm. uh, Sherlock Holmes, right? And uh, oh, and I had another example on Oh, well, there brain. was a um, K-Pax. Oh, there you that go. That was a movie uh, from the nineties about uh, someone oh, well, who may or may not be an alien. There was one uh, called Happy Accidents with yeah. uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and and uh, Marissa Tomei, yeah. where he said he was a time traveler. Yeah. And they're not all. And they're not all good. I mean, there's like almost an angel where Paul Hogan is like a bank robber who thinks he's been saved by Charlton Heston as God, and so now he has yeah. to try to do miracles, but he might just have had like a vision and a near death experience. I, I saw one called. I think that it was. Um, was the one where Jeff Goldblum thought he was Jesus Christ? Jeff Goldblum thought you mean Holy Man with the Eddie Murphy? No, no, Jeff Goldblum. Okay, he was he was a, a starving homeless man, and oh. this photographer like posed him on a cross. Oh, I don't like, know this like one. as a crucifix, and he started to think that he was Jesus Christ. This one I don't know. Right. I was thinking I, of I think uh, that might have been the favor of the watch and the very big fish. But I don't know that one. Uh, I was thinking of this. This this is a movie that uh, subverts the premise. Um, and I think it's a Peter Medak film called The Ruling Class. Oh, a great yeah. movie starring uh, Peter O'Toole as a British aristocrat who inherits a title, uh, but he thinks he's Jesus Christ. Yeah. And they spend so much time trying to convince him that he's not Jesus Christ that they don't consider the possibility that maybe what he actually is is worse. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's a... That's a very bitter comedy, that one. Mm. Um, and so Harvey didn't invent this, and Harvey... Uh, uh, would become kind of a mini classic of the genre. But what's interesting about Harvey is that although on the surface this appears to be a story of a of a very kindly man, he's a he's a functioning alcoholic, but he doesn't seem to get in any serious trouble from it. Um, everyone likes him; he's very decent, uh, but he doesn't pretend that he isn't talking to an invisible six foot tall rabbit, mm. and he will tell anyone who's listening that this is a real person next to him right now. You just can't see him. Well, and everyone around him either thinks that he is completely lost his mind and needs to be committed or he is utterly harmless and totally sweet. But what the film decides very early on mm-hmm. is Harvey is real. And that's why uh, this isn't quite part of that genre for me. And uh, Because well, like, one of the first things that happens Davis, when they take him to an asylum is they uh, find Harvey's hat. Which is a hat with ear holes cut out. Uh, and sometimes Harvey will open <clears throat> doors and things, you know? Yeah, I I forgot when it was like physically confirmed, like yeah. that Harvey was able to manipulate the real world. Um, I, th- I think it's when I the, saw the uh, hat. That's when it killed. That's when it got me. I'm like, there's right. no way that's that James Stewart snuck that in somewhere. Yeah, He's um, not being duplicitous. He's not trying to trick anyone. Uh, James Stewart he plays a character named Elwood Dowd, and uh, Elwood is established early on as as an alcoholic. Yeah, he's always in bars and he's drinking heavily and toasting people, and he's always a little bit tipsy. Yeah, so uh, it could be that Harvey is a, 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 a booze hallucination. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that he's just he's drunk so much that he's starting to hallucinate this rabbit, which yeah. is something you'd see in like Dumbo cartoons. Sure. Uh, you know, whole pink elephants on parade sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of a condemnation of uh, mental health in a uh, mental mm-hmm. health uh, uh, organization in the United States, especially in the mid 20th century. Mm-hmm. We, we like to think of, and listen, psychology and therapy have done wonders for my life. I cannot pretend otherwise. Uh, psychology wasn't always great. 
And in fact, a lot of times in this country, psychology was a deeply fucked up institution where people could have family members committed for next to no reason Mm. uh, and often would just if they were inconvenient, particularly if they were women. Uh, It was an extremely sexist uh... institution. What took a shocking amount of time for uh, uh, people, for example, like homosexuality to be taken off of the books as some sort of mental illness. I think it, I think, uh, I think being, being gay wasn't, I think they finally took that out of like psychological problem books as late as like the late seventies. I heard it was later than that, but it was was, way too fucking late. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's there's a, a pretty good film out there called The Mountain, which is about mm. this very thing about men who are committing the women in their lives just to essentially get them out of. Their also lives. stars Jeff Goldblum. Also stars Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Um, there's a really good film called Dangerous Method, directed mm. by David Cronenberg. Uh, it's about uh, Freud and Jung. About Freud and Jung. Uh, uh, Jung is played by Michael Fassbender. Freud is played by Viggo Mortensen, and Kira Knightley plays a woman who uh, uh, is his quote unquote hysterical. But yeah. what they both come to realize over time is, no, she's just oppressed. Mm. She's living with horrible, uh, systematic you know, yeah, oppression, it, and it would affect anyone's personality after a while. Hysteria is another one of those weighted words that yeah. uh, was often applied to women who were being committed. Yeah. They're being committed for hysteria. Which, um, is, a, which is basically a coverall for the men in their lives would find them inconvenient. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, anyway, the point but is, the, if here, you, the point here's, is a, you can, here's an interesting uh, yeah. a footnote. There's a film uh, called, it's either Hysteria or Hysterical with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I think it's called Hysterical. Yeah. And um, the idea is women who are suffering from hysteria, their prescription was was masturbating. <laughs> yeah. And it's about the uh, the woman who... It's Hysteria, 2011. Hysteria, yeah. and yeah, about the woman who invented vibrators. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as as this sort of like psychological cure all, it was like tied in with that. Yeah. Um, yeah so so the idea and, and, that and that you know we can't assume that we've you know sort of reached the plateau when it comes to psychology. It's constantly evolving. So there's um, two schools of thought kind of on the plot of Harvey because the plot of Harvey is really quite simple. Uh, Elwood Dowd lives with his sister and his niece. His sister and his niece are have had it up to here with this Harvey guy. Uh, they are embarrassed to be seen in public. Uh, his niece. Uh, who's oh god, what's her name? Uh, was uh, it was Myrtle, wasn't it? I believe it was yeah, Myrtle. Yeah, Myr- Myrtle played by Victoria Horn. Yeah, uh, Myrtle is 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 young and wants to meet men and get married and live her life, and she can't do that with a guy in the house who was talking to rabbits. It's it's ruining her chances at mm-hmm. being part of society. You could say that that's stuck up if you, all you want, but it is driving them to the brink. Uh, and so they decide early in the film. To have Elwood committed. Now, at this point, the movie could take a variety of different turns, and it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too, where it's portraying psychology as kind of benevolent, but also inherently corrupt, because when Mm -hmm. his sister uh, arrives to... uh, uh, Vita, played by uh, Josephine Hall. Who won an Academy Award for this. Yeah, and 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 she's great. She's funny. She's like in... uh, uh, Margaret, uh, not Margaret Hamilton. Margaret uh, Dumont. Margaret Dumont Overdrive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a great cover band. <laughs> Margaret, <laughs> Margaret Dumont Overdrive. It's a Bachman uh, Turner Overdrive, it, it, but it's all Margaret Dumont's. Um, but uh, yeah, she goes to this the local 
psychological mm-hmm. office and a sanitarium, essentially. And yeah. she uh, wants to have Jimmy Stewart committed. Yeah. So and, she, but they, she's so overwhelmed mm-hmm. and so she's having a panic attack. Yeah, basically, so, so panicky when she's describing Harvey to the the psychiatrists uh-huh. that they think she's the one who's been seeing Harvey. Yeah. And, and when they, they find out, they immediately have her committed and taken her up, take her upstairs, and they horrendously mistreat her. But oh it's yeah, not, it's not on camera, but she no, no, no. It like later. they, they like really rip her clothes off, and they're going to bathe her against her will. And uh, and meanwhile, they fight freezing cold water. And meanwhile, or... at her behest, they had already uh, committed uh, Elwood. And when they find out that Elwood has been like imprisoned, they're like, "Oh my god, he could sue us for a million dollars. We we could sue us into oblivion. We have to get him out of here, Mister Elwood. We're so sorry that we ever assumed for one moment that a man could have mental health problems. Uh-huh. Clearly, it was your sister who had mental health problems this whole time. And they're so wrapped up in giving him the speech that they don't notice that he is constantly trying to introduce him to his friend, an invisible <laughs> rabbit." <laughs> And it takes forever. This is based on a play, and you can tell because there's very extended sequences. Most scenes last a really long time. Um, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like a movie that it never feels like they're avoiding going to any locations. It always feels like it needs to be is where it needs to be. But um, yeah. So on one hand, this is a horrifying story about how intensely fucked up and corrupt and sexist psychological institutions are. On the other hand, everyone there's still kind of nice and they all get happy endings and it's kind of sweet. And I'm like, I'm watching this movie and I, again, I haven't seen this since I was a kid. And when I was a kid, the narrative about this movie, Harvey, was that it's nice. Mm. It's sweet. It's about a guy who sees a rabbit and the rabbit's probably real and it's super cute. And you're, gonna, you're all going to have a good time. Everyone's going to have a good laugh at this. And I'm watching it now and I'm like, this would make a great double feature with The Exorcist. <laughs> where it's all about how science has very serious limitations when it comes up against the fantastic. Uh, Harvey is a puka, which reminds me of a pair of films I saw. One is called Puka, and one is called Puka Lives. Yeah, uh, which uh, they actually use the the term. Puka. It's the earliest movie I've ever heard use the term puka, which is a which is an older. It's, it's like, like a, a, a Celtic Celtic. Yeah. Um, myth about it, a yeah. sort of like talking rabbit or talking uh, animal really like hum- humanoid animals basically okay. uh, yeah, yeah. The, the movie puka is more about like a furby craze it's just this rabbit monster yeah. uh, whereas the sequel is about how the the monster itself begins to mutate as it spreads as a meme online well, it's it, a little bit a little bit bizarre the idea is, isn't so much that's because in in folklore puka is more specifically uh, and a humanoid animal that may talk to you that may, may be benevolent maybe a trickster um but uh, yeah, in Puka Lives, which is quite good actually, um, it's a thought form. Yeah. So that if we believe in it, it becomes real. And if we believe different things about it, those different things become real. So if you believe mm-hmm. that it's harmful, it is. And if you believe that it's not, it isn't. And, and because of the nature of the internet, people start spreading word that it's harmful. So it just gets yeah. worse and worse. Yeah. Uh, Somewhat clever movie, I yeah. think. Um, not not a not a peerless classic, but worth no, watching. No, definitely worth seeing. Uh, but yeah, uh, Harvey is a puka, and uh, late in the film, uh, Elwood tells a story of how he first met Harvey, mm-hmm. how he had staggered out of a bar, uh, and he was helping a, a drunk, an even drunker friend home. I'm assuming he was also drunk. Probably. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't say he was intoxicated, but that's the the sense I got from yeah. the story. But yeah, he was accompanying another drunk friend home, saw him away, and turned and saw be, uh, leaning up against a lamppost, Harvey, a giant rabbit, this yeah. giant rabbit. Just said, "How how are you doing there?" and how he kind of gave Harvey his name, which well, implies that Harvey. 
is an invention of his own brain, but mm-hmm. at the same time, we do get to see things happening around him where Harvey uh, appears to be manipulating things. There's another As, possibility here. Yeah. And this is something I took from The Exorcist. What's that? Uh, specifically the book. Hmm. That James Stewart is projecting Harvey. He's not real. But he's also manipulating these things with his mind. So he's somewhat psychic. Yes. Okay. That, that he actually has like these psychic powers. Uh, a big part of The Exorcist is... You know, if this young girl uh, like looks at a drawer and it opens on its own, mm. that's not necessarily proof that it's supernatural. Mm-hmm. Because theoretically, telekinesis is possible. Te- telekinesis is kind of on the books, so we can't immediately discount that this is a psychokinetic phenomenon. It's still yeah. extraordinary, but yeah, that's not, but not necessarily, necessarily proof of a demon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm thinking something similar might be happening with Harvey. That's an interesting motif. That, that yeah. Harvey is is a hallucination of his, and he's manifesting this hallucination with his own psychic powers. It's more like I, I, Exorcist. I, maybe Carrie might be the more yeah. appropriate analogy. I would just like to say that this is this is a 1950s comedy mm. uh, about a giant rabbit, and we've already compared it to like the exorcist and a dangerous <laughs> method. And there's a lot going on here, and I was well, actually pleasantly surprised like, to see like how much depth this movie at least touches upon. I, I appreciate that it is a criticism of modern psychological practices. Mm. Um, the character, the most boring character of the movie is Dr. Lyman Sanderson. He's played oh, by yeah. an actor named Charles Drake. Yeah. A Might milk well... carton of a man. He's just a square, <laughs> boring, full of dullness. And uh, yeah. uh, and I like milk. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, he is the one who, uh, he's sort of like, the dashing Dr. Kildare kind of hero type. The the uh, lead nurse at the mental institution mm, is in love with him, mm, but he's oblivious or doesn't care. uh, And and he seems to be uh, like a step off all the other characters. All, every other actor knows they're in the comedy in a comedy. And this guy's just sort of playing it kind of straight. But on the other hand, his job in the plot Uh is to be that stick in the mud. His job is but to be obtuse to, to people's emotions. Is his job in a to, funny way? Perhaps, perhaps. But I'm saying, it, at some point, someone might have told him, "You will not be the likable person in this movie." Yeah, that's your job is to take one for the team. You are got to be un- overwhelmingly, annoyingly obtuse mm. in order for the plot to work. And he might have taken that too far. That's mm. possible uh, because he is he is a plank. <laughs> He's just a. He's just a big old block of wood just standing in everybody's yeah, way. And he's yeah. got to get around him. Um, over the course of the film, Elwood disappears, goes to a bar. Harvey disappears, goes to another bar. It's entirely possible that uh, the, when they when they finally arouse uh, uh, the head of the mental institution, when he's finally going to step out of his office and do something, mm. and he goes to see Elwood and Harvey, they all disappear for a while. And what we find out is apparently the head of the psychological institute can see Harvey too. He's completely convinced <laughs> Harvey is real. He's like right off the bat. He's like, oh, that's oh, oh. well, then yeah, <laughs> he's a, it's a fucking rabbit. You're a hundred percent right. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and he's and he's and his life has changed. Something fantastic has happened. Mm. And that's something that I think is actually really, really sweet here. The idea, the possibility that something fantastical can happen is well, something that is enriching to like the human spirit that, it, that we see here. That something fantastic happens and we realize that if 
something fantastic happens to you, it's not going to crush your worldview. It's no. actually this very benevolent thing that inspires you. Yeah, and it's and I, what I love about I love about Harvey as a concept. I mean, there's there's conflict because Will Elwood be committed, but mm. the existence of a supernatural creature, and this is something you just don't see enough today. Uh, the existence of a supernatural creature doesn't mean oh, well. Elwood Dowd has been summoned for the Great Puka War, oh, where he's God. the great chosen yeah. one. No, 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 no. It just turns out that there are some fantastical things out there, and they're nice. And my favorite. I'm, I'm trying to think of the last. God, and yeah. this is another. Con- like, E.T. follows yeah. this conceit. Yes. Yeah. That there's a, fr- a fantastical creature, and it helps you, and it's great. Yeah. And it's kind of your secret, and it's your friend, and then it's it goes away. And, Totoro uh, is another great example. Yeah, Totoro is great. Yeah. Um, the uh, I'm trying to think of the last movie I saw. Where Earth there was to Echo. Earth to Echo, which is sort very, of a riff on E.T. Oh, very, yeah. very much so, but a very good one. Very underrated yeah. film, I think, Earth to yeah. Echo. Same yeah. with, uh, um, yeah. what was the J.J. Abrams one? Oh, Super, Super 8. 8 that which one is was a little bit more a, monstrous, a, but it turns out it's just misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, that's also kind of a Spielberg thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, there haven't been too many films about kids who find an extraordinary thing, and it becomes just this miniature benevolent thing that helps just them. Which yeah. might be why I responded so well to Psycho Gorman. Yeah. Because uh, Psycho Gorman is, is Harvey, isn't it? It's about yeah. these kids who discover this benevolent thing, but it turns out it's actually like the most malevolent being on the like, planet. What if, what if Winnie the Pooh but Thanos? Exactly. Like, that's kind of what that movie is, and that's <laughs> the, totally the vibe. Oh, we, we found this delightful creature, yeah. but it turns out it's this genocidal alien and, creature. And if you think about it, like, you know, some people talk about how the protagonist of Psycho Gorman is this absolute monster of a child but like fine (laughs) but like that's but here's the deal christopher robin needs winnie the pooh what does this monster child need thanos Thanos. (laughs) that's what the child needs but what i like about this and what i like ultimately about uh uh, harvey and this is something that this is a speech that um james stewart gives and i'm gonna go i'm gonna Mm -hmm. quote it verbatim here because i really do think it's it's just this is kind of my philosophy Mm -hmm. um he said, years ago, my mother used to say to me, she'd say, in this world, Elwood, you must be, she always called me Elwood. <laughs> in this world, Elwood, you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. Well, for years, I was smart. I recommend pleasant. <laughs> you may quote me. Now, my personal philosophy is there's no reason why you can't be both. Right. But pleasant is something that I feel like we've lost. We've lost Pleasant nice and moral sure but pleasant there is a a serious dearth of pleasantry Mm. i feel like in the world today and maybe i've i haven't always been best at uh keeping up my end of that bargain Mm. but ultimately what i feel harvey espouses is hey if we could all be relaxed and groovy there's so many problems we could Mm. solve if we were just relaxed and groovy and i feel like if you were made harvey today Uh the biggest difference in the in the movie would be Elwood would not be a drunk. He would just be high all the time. It would just be Seth Rogen. Well, I'm I'm trying to think what the modern version of Harvey would be because this kind of movie isn't quite made anymore. Not for um, adults, anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, so, Donnie Darko was a riff on this, and it was like this yeah, extremely yeah. insidious and creepy and and very I'm, very th- dour. I'm thinking picture, it, it yeah. would. Be, well, I mean, Donnie Darko came at a time when you know, there was a lot of sort of end of, like millennial angst was yeah. going on at the time. Uh, so yeah, there's all all this apocalyptic talk and time travel and all those extraordinary things. I I do like the film Donnie Darko. It's fine. It's not um, for me. Yeah. I, I, it's not my favorite. I know that it has like this huge following. Um, but I think 
this sort of story uh, inspires a little bit of cynicism. This idea yeah. that we need something very literal to be explained to us. Yeah. Uh, that we can't sort of accept perhaps that Harvey can be real and also not real. Mm-hmm. And that's actually not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is to be a pleasant human being. Yeah. And that's true for his, and that's true and, for his uh, family think, as well. You don't have to believe so think, in Harvey yeah. to be pleasant about someone who does. So either it would be incredibly explicit that the James Stewart character is need, is mentally ill and needs to be cured of Harvey, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, and the movie would actually start delving into that and like follow him into therapy and actually sort mm-hmm. of see him out on the other end once he's no longer living with Harvey. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it would be something a little bit... It would state outright that he was supernatural, but we'd also have to get to know Harvey's motivation and, oh, yeah. and why Harvey itself, this creature, there would be no- appeared to him and it would like connect to... Yeah, space aliens or international. You're saying we would. You're beings. saying the temptation would be irresistible to overexplain. Exactly. Regardless. Exactly. Uh, that one well, because I, I think yeah. that's kind of the or the worse. Mold you would of do, a lot of modern fantasy, or you do that thing that like Steven Spielberg's Hook did, or Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland did, mm-hmm. which is just like yes, Harvey is the vague backstory, and now we're going back after Elwood has re- has emerged. From oh, there his, you go. Elwood yeah. Elwood is now an elderly man and reunites with Harvey years yeah. later, and that it's all kind of cynical but also sweet. Reboot, yeah. and, uh, just tell the story. Har- Harvey Harvey is older now and I look at Har- uh, Harvey's been Harvey's been living with his enemy. Yeah. I look sometimes <laughs> I at the know. movie I, I, I just going back to it, I look sometimes at the movie Hook. Uh, and you know, I was in the age demographic to love Hook. I didn't love Hook. Uh, I I love Dustin Hoffman and Hook. I didn't love Hook. Because I kept looking at Hook and I kept thinking to myself why didn't Spielberg just do Peter Pan? <laughs> We're not really getting anything out of it. the idea that like dad got really obsessed with business and needs to find his childhood again. That's every family movie. That's mm. the most generic fucking thing in the world. You had Spielberg even, even at the in height 91, of, it was yeah, already a cliche. You had Spielberg at the height of his powers, at the height of his budget, able to do anything he wanted. Visual effects had caught up with him. Why didn't you just do Peter Pan. You were perfect for Peter Pan. <laughs> Why did you do the weird 90s Tim Allen dad version of Peter Pan? <laughs> I never got it. Like, it yeah, always it was... always struck me as kind of a waste. I don't I, I don't I feel think... like I don't see what that story needed to be told. It always felt like, you know, just kind of a desperation well, move. It, it, it was there, there's just a lot of deconstruction going on at the time, and you know, yeah. r- rather than just do a straight up Peter Pan movie again, uh, they said, "Well, well let's do must, something a little more interesting." If with you Peter must Pan. do it, make it modern. What would Never Neverland look like now? That's what's well, what they, it never the same. It, nothing, yeah. nothing changes in Neverland. Well, yeah, but like different <laughs> kids would be coming in and bringing their influence, right? Their imaginations are becoming real. I mean, that's kind of what we got with the with the with the Lost Boys in this version. Anyway, with their mohawks and their skateboards I mean, I and stuff like that. Let's do that. All right. If you must have Rufio, and you must, he's the best part of that movie besides Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> like, how do we never get a Rufio spinoff? Yeah, only didn't he die saying, "I wish I had a dad like you." Did he die? Shit, he did, didn't he? Yeah, Rufio, Rufio died and said something stupid right before he died. That's so. right. What a waste. You monsters! You live on cake frosting. Hook sucks, by the Hook way. Hook is not <laughs> Hook great. is not a good movie. I know a lot of people love Hook. I get why you love Hook. I don't. It, get, it, I don't. I don't it's, agree. It's slick. It's got a lot of yeah. charm, but golly, yeah. it's a bad movie. I don't. I don't. Oh, I don't bumping the it. table. Sorry stop bumping the table. Uh, anyway, back uh, to Harvey. But Har- Harvey, I think. Uh, 
other another film I can compare it to is uh, Frank Capra's Arsenic and Old Lace, mm. Mm. Uh, because Arsenic and Old Lace is also it's about these uh, kindly old aunts who are uh, actually serial murderers. Just who, like Harvey. Who ta- well, yeah, Harvey, who poisons people. No, the idea that, um, are are we going to let this continue? Uh-huh. Uh, this weird, and there's Just sort of these out- nice. outsider characters who are like the ones who are panicking, whereas the the kindly old aunts or Jimmy Stewart yeah. are kind of just very kind people and they keep talking about the we, we only kill people who were like old yeah. and lonely and had nothing to live so for they, they so. think they're doing something very benevolent yeah. with all of, this. of course they're committing well, murders you're talking so about the same thing you're talking about a situation where we're taking this philosophy to its logical extreme and then crossing the line yeah so yeah fair enough i'm not saying we should take this it's like this idea that because hannibal lecter is so damn appealing and polite we like him no, he's a monster. I remember I watched um, I watched Hannibal, uh-huh. the series, uh, with a friend of mine, and I, I loved it and I recommended it to them. And at first they were really, really into it because the first part of that show, it's all about how Hannibal Lecter met Will Graham before Will Graham found out Hannibal Lecter was a serial killer. They kind of befriended each other. Hannibal Lecter became Will Graham's psychologist, mm-hmm. and they solved serial killer murders together, which is a fun, weekly, whodunit mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Um and then gradually over the course of the first season, you realize that Hannibal Lecter is manipulating Will Graham's uh, uh, therapy in order to take advantage of him and convince him that uh, of false realities. Because Will Graham has superpowers in that show. No, he's he's just incredibly intuitive. That's mm. all. It, they treat it like a superpower because it's fun, but it's just he's incredibly intuitive. It's like saying Hannibal Lecter is a superpower. No, he's just smart. That's it. That's a superpower in this universe. But in any case, this, this he also has a superhuman sense of smell. I'll give you that. That that one is. He's, he's he got has, Wolverine's he, nose. And and he ha- and he has um like a spider sense with other serial killers. Yeah, he knows. They always know like, when they're in the room. They just yeah, lock like, eyes. Oh, oh, you're a serial killer too. What do you do? Oh, I make violins out of corpses. Oh, funny. I I, I make uh, instruments out of bones as well. Mm. Now we must kung fu fight, and then they do. <laughs> they do an awesome kung fu fight. Scene. I, I, I turn them into sauce. It's like it's it's fun. Anyway, it's, my point it's is such this: a stupid show. I I think the the show knows it's camp. I think you're, right. you're cutting. I think you cut a little bit more slack. But anyway, um, but I was watching the show and it was uh, with them. I was rewatching with them and. Once they started seeing that uh, Hannibal Lecter was manipulating Will Graham, they said, "I don't like Hannibal anymore." And I'm like, "I don't think you were supposed." Oh, like the character? Yeah, like, I think think you're not supposed to, like, he's the charming devil, but he's still the devil. Mm. I don't think we're supposed to want to hang out with him. He's Hannibal Lecter. He's a a cannibal. He's a serial killer. We we all like to think that because, like, Clarice Clarice Starling cracked the code, and it's just like, if you're polite to him, he won't kill you because it would be rude. Mm. uh, That we'll we'll all be in his good graces. No, (laughs) he thinks nothing of us. He's a monster. Just uh, like Elwood, of course. Elwood, of El- course, Elwood would feed is, everyone yeah. to Harvey if, if, if in a heartbeat. Uh, I, I I admire that the film didn't bother to like it did explain Harvey. Yeah, but it was all explanations from Elwood, so it was yeah, who's un- un- maybe not a reliable narrator. Yeah, uh, and if if you want to take Elwood's word for it, you can. And if you want to see Elwood as uh, somebody who does suffer from these hallucinations, but has brought no harm to the world because of them. Yeah. Uh, just let him live. Mm-hmm. This is a live and let live kind of movie. It's actually it has a very gentle philosophy. Yeah. Uh, all of the aggressive people who are trying to uh, imprison him mm-hmm. all come about a horrible end or they sort of are shown the error of their ways. Yeah. There's this great thing. It all leads to this wonderful climax where um, uh, 
Elwood is informed in no uncertain terms because he was kind of hazy on like how miserable his, his family was. Um, that he's ruining his sister's and his niece's life. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, this Harvey thing has really ruined our standing in the neighborhood. And although over the course of this film, uh, your niece has begun uh, dating the guy who kind of attacked her mom and mm-hmm. the institution, and we're never really going to deal with that. Uh, but regardless, even though things are kind of working out right now, they all, they, they all say like, yeah, this whole Harvey thing has kind of ruined the family, and we kind of wish that wasn't a thing anymore. And Elwood's like, well, there's nothing I can do. And they say, no, we can give you like a serum, like a, like a, they like have a, a shot. That can a be shot. It's, it's a MacGuffin, but basically mm. it's like, basically like if you take these pills, you will stop hallucinating. And uh, he says, okay, I'll do it. If it'll make you happy. If that's really mm. important to me, you're my family. I care. And he goes to get the shot. And then this guy comes in. There's this recurring gag about how there's like a, a cab that's waiting outside. It's been waiting for forever. And the guy talks about how, oh, you're going to go and you're going to give him a shot. Oh, that's too bad. He was really nice on the way over. People are always really nice on the way over to this place. And when they come back, they're always assholes. <laughs> and his sister realizes yeah, that what she's what she's the, asking from, from Elwood isn't for the rabbit to go away, but for him to change. And she likes him the way... The rabbit is annoying, oh. but she likes her brother the way he is because he's a nice guy. He's a good person. He yeah, cares. Let, let me look up the name of that actor. Um, you played the cab driver? The cab driver. Okay. Uh, because... He, his speech is the crux of the movie and he's not even a major player in the no, movie. No, he's a really, really small part, yeah. but he gets to come in and just kind of lay everything out. It's a, it's a wonderful gift to yeah, a small uh, performer. Yeah, the, you know? This guy, uh, the, the, the character is named Henry. He's played by an actor named Norman Leavitt. And, uh, yeah, he, he's not a key player. He only shows up in this one scene. He's just a cab driver. Yeah. And he doesn't have like the air of the divine about him. Like he's yeah. sent to give this message. No. He's just, he, I, I've driven a lot of people. A lot of them are jerks. He's not. Bye. Yeah. And it's that sort of outsider perspective that the character needs. Yeah, a lot of times in, uh, screenwriters will try to hide that character in the movie for like a long time. Like, yeah. here's someone who doesn't have much to say or is always around. And then at the end, they get to like, because they've been an outside observer, mm. Silent Bob will lay out the entire right. plot. Or the grandmother from Parenthood will have that great speech about the merry ground versus the roller coaster. Mm. And that that works too. But the, the audacity of having someone who has nothing to do with the plot <laughs> just come in and just be like, hey, here's what everyone's missing. Here, here's the theme of the movie. Okay. Okay. Bye. And and he's not uh, and again he's not played by like some wizened character actor like yeah. uh, you know you, you remake it and they get Tom Hanks yeah, to come someone, in and play the cab someone driver. really important to let you know that this is an important yeah. character. Oh, we have to listen moment. to this guy. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's just some some guy. Yeah. Uh, the temerity and the boldness that takes. Yeah. To put the, all of the themes of the movie on the shoulders of this completely unknown character and. He's directed as if he just had... He probably only read his scene. Yeah. He didn't even necessarily read the rest of the movie. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. They might have cast, certain, they might have cast a, people from the play. I, I actors know. like to do it in different yeah. ways. But um, yeah, yeah it, it's possibly as one of those actors who like to read just his lines and not mm. the rest of the movie. Because uh, some characters well, like to sort of ha- have their characters sort of exist uh, in their own world. I mean, I've said this before. I, I think uh, one of the earmarks of a great screenplay mm. is that every role, no matter how small, has a character. Yeah, yeah, doesn't mean they have to have a lot to do. It doesn't mean they have to steal a steal a scene or a moment. It just means that they are not there just to be there mm. or to push the plot forward. They are a human being uh-huh. who has thoughts and opinions and cares about. Th- I think the ultimate example of this, and it's a character from a movie from your boss. So I know you can't mm. say much about it, but for me, oh. the ultimate example of this is Steve Buscemi in Pulp Fiction. 
Okay. Because Steve Buscemi plays a waiter who d- dressed as Buddy Holly. Oh, that's right. He's in the 50s diner. He's, he's in the... Uh, uh, Jack Rabbit Jack Rabbit Slims. And that's it. He comes in, and it's Steve... He's kind of hidden, so like you don't necessarily recognize that it's him. But once you know it's him, you're like, why is Steve Buscemi playing this nothing character? And you realize it's because that's a real character. Hmm. He hates his job. <laughs> that's it. He comes in, he hates his fucking job, uh-huh. and that's it. That's the whole thing. But there is a world of hatred. You can picture him coming to this place over and over again. And he probably tried dating some of his co-stars of the thing. And it didn't work out. And he gets paid like shit. And no one tips him because he's just Woody. He's just he's just Buddy Holly. And like the Marilyn Monroe's and the Mamie Van Doren's are getting like all the money. And it's just like, it just sucks. It just sucks to be that guy. And he has like two lines. That's uh, a very similar role went to Janine Garofalo in the movie The Cable Guy, oh, uh, yeah. where um, mm. the two main characters, Matthew Broderick and Jim Carrey, go to Medieval Times. Yeah. And she's the waitress at Medieval Times. Yeah, very similar bit, and, yeah. yeah and, and you already know, it's Janine Garofalo. Yeah. So she was she, already a famous comedian so by that point. She comes traipsing in, and you, you recognize Janine Garofalo, yeah. and Matthew Broderick is eating his chicken with his bare hands. Like, do you have any uh, flatware? And... You can see how many times she said this to somebody. Yeah. Like, just sort of looks at him and with complete stony gravestone expression. There were no there was no flatware in medieval times, so there's no flatware at medieval times. <laughs> was there a Pepsi and, in medieval times? And she's like yeah, <laughs> so much. <laughs> and then the entire earth ignites because of her rage. <laughs> But that's this movie. Every yeah. single small role in this movie mm. feels like a big role. Well, and and I think uh, there's a theatrical because it's based on a play. There's this theatrical yeah. element to Harvey that I think works in its favor. Yeah, where everything is very talky and everything's very stagey, and the characters aren't afraid to be a little big, uh, which fits when you know Jimmy Stewart is doing kind of a big version of a Jimmy Stewart character, that mm. kind of like aw shucks innocent kind of character. Um, which he he played so well. That was kind of his his uh, trademark. Yeah. Um, so uh, all of the emotions play a little bit larger, but we're not dealing with a big story. What's playing large is the calm, if if you will. Yeah. The, well, because the calm the, is the, flying the, in the face of the of all the, the manic the key, humor. The, peace the movie like that. and the calm and the gentleness is larger yeah. than you would have in something that was a little bit more cinematic or well, scripted. He's, he's a wonderful comic foil, mm. Elwood Dowd, because nothing phases him. He's not a fool. Yeah, he's a little. He's not really paying attention a lot of the time, and he doesn't really understand everything going on around him, but. Because nothing phases him, even when everyone else is super intense and cares, it's almost a Buster Keaton bit. Yeah. Where he's just completely stone-faced and pleasant and everything's nice while everyone else freaks out around him. And he just comes across as more and more (laughs) Christ-like with every passing scene because, and it's mostly Josephine Hull, uh, is just at the edge of her damned robe. Apparently Jimmy Stewart had... um, Something to say about Jimmy Hull's performance. She said she had the hardest role in the movie because she has to not believe in Harvey and believe in Harvey at the mm. same time. Yeah. Because the existence of Harvey is driving her mad because she doesn't believe in the existence of Harvey. Right. But he is an actual factor in her life. It's such mm. a horrible contradiction to have to keep in your head well, as an it's, actor. It's, um, I'm a parent. 
My, yeah. my child is six. And uh, it's it's sort of like knowing sort of the inner workings of your child's yeah. like, in-jokes. The kinds of things that your kid says that uh, only you as the parent can really understand or somebody who's lived with that kid can understand. Mm. Uh, she's lived with him. And there, there's nothing really dark in Harvey, but mm-hmm. there's something to be said for the experience of somebody who lives with someone with mental illness mm-hmm. and getting to know that mental illness really, really well. And there's an implication that this has something to do with grief. Mm. Uh, Elwood uh, stayed home to live with his mother. He never married. He never really pursued much of a career for himself. And shortly before the beginning of the film and just before he met Harvey, his mother died. Yeah. And that's why his sister and his niece moved in with him. So one could argue that grief, there's that dark undercurrent there too. Yeah. That Harvey exists, either he showed up as a magical creature to Elwood because Elwood needed a friend right now, or Elwood concocted him because he was lonely. Yeah. And even if he is living with his sister, they are not on the same wavelength. He doesn't have anyone like that. And it is very, very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, James Stewart considered this his favorite role. It's easy to he's, see why. He's great in it. So I mean, good. He's, and I've, I've seen a lot of Jimmy Stewart movies, and uh, I think Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is one of the best of all films, really. But here he gets to play such an interesting character. He's a, a character you want to look at. He is such an appeal. Elwood is such an appealing character. Mm. Uh, because you want him to live with Harvey. You admire the relationship he has with Harvey. Uh, and you like that he is going from place to place, just brightening things up. Yeah. Whether or not he is mentally ill, whether or not he has is having hallucinations, we we like him from the start, and we kind of want to hang out with this guy. And your sympathies are instantly with him. So when all of these people who are saying this is for the best, we're going to change this about you, we. We are on his side. We want to just sort of ignore it and continue on the way he's continuing on. Yeah, because we see how harmless he is and mm. we see how happy he is. And, and, and the film ends yeah. letting him be happy. Mm. There was apparently some debate while they were making the film of whether or not to ever show Harvey. They actually show Harvey. There's a painting of Harvey. There is a painting of Harvey, so that, which suggests, and there's a good line, I think, Jimmy Stewart, James, no, it's actually his sister has about it, which is a, mm-hmm. a picture will show you what things are. Like a painting will show you like the soul of it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, she doesn't realize that she's referring to a painting which has been placed behind her of Elwood and Harvey. Um, I guess the painter could see Harvey? <laughs> or Elwood painted it himself, perhaps? We never really talk about that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a way to have that cake and eat it too. But apparently... Uh, one suggestion that was made, and I don't think this is canonical, uh-huh. but it's interesting, and it relates to something we were talking about. Apparently, there was some idea to, at the end of the film, that cab driver who like gave that speech and convinced the sister uh, that uh, she shouldn't uh, force Elwood to take a drug yeah. and change his whole personality, that by the end of the film, we would see that that cab driver had a bunny tail. And maybe that cab oh, driver was Harvey all along. No, no, no. I think that I don't think you need that. I no. think I think that that's that's wrapping things up too tidily. Mm-hmm. Like that that fits in a plot way, but it actually doesn't fit in a thematic way because we need to believe that Elwood being a good the way he is, mm. happy the way he is, benevolent the way he is, un, that he doesn't need help. Yeah. And that the world is better off with him as is. We need to believe that the world wants that. 
mm. not Harvey. Okay. We need to believe that the world is better off for that. And if yeah. it, it's, that sells much better if just some random person shares their opinion than if we find out it was all some trickster scheme by a puka. Yeah, no, I, I hate that. Yeah, that, I don't think that's, it, that's a terrible idea. I agree. I agree. And I'm glad they I'm glad they shot that down because that mm. that does not work at all. Mm. Um So yeah, that's uh that is Harvey. It's a very light film, yeah. but it's not a very slight film. Like there's actually like a lot of stuff to really consider here. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm very very happy I rewatched it. Apparently there is a made for TV version from the 70s also starring James Stewart. Okay. Oh, in which James Stewart actually uh, thinks his performance was better. In the 70s version. Yeah. Okay. So I need to check that out at some point. All right. Uh, but yeah. Who can say? It would be like, you know, like, hey, we just did, we did like 800 shows of this on the stage. Mm. And you recorded the 799th, but I thought 633 was my best. <laughs> like, it's whatever. I guess he's allowed that opinion. I don't know. Maybe he is better. Um, but that's that. Um, uh, last thoughts? It, it, uh, also, um, uh, just a, a small word on uh, how... We've talked about how it's it's not you, you just said it's not slight. We talked about how it deals with some pretty heady issues, but in a light way, yeah. without uh, making light of the seriousness, mm-hmm. uh, and how curiously uh, engrossing the film is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the speech near the end of the movie where Elwood talks about meeting Harvey for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, you can see that on stage. Mm-hmm. Where they're they're in the alleyway behind the bar, and he's talking about how he met Harvey for the first yeah, that time. That would work on stage. Uh, work just fine on stage, and it's you're you're wrapped mm-hmm. by this this amazing scene that Jimmy this great performance and this wonderful speech. Uh, it, it's rare that a film that is so talky will grab you in such a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's, a, I, it's a talky film about the fantastic. Yeah, it can't show you anything really. Mm-hmm. It only can talk about it. Would would you have liked? Uh, would you have been okay with it if all the other characters exit, and there's something where like Jimmy Stewart's walking away, and we like briefly see Harvey, or we like see a silhouette or a shadow? I don't think we did. Something. Listen, we see Harvey's physical influence. We see like a door open at some yeah. point, and we see that he has a hat that he left behind. Apparently, mm-hmm. if you leave the hat behind, you can see it. Like we we says, we know it says he's, F Kruger on the inside. I know, I know he's real. Mm. The movie doesn't pretend he's not real. Yeah, I think the movie. If you want to not believe it, you can. You you can have that interpretation. But I think the movie pretty much comes down on the idea of he's real. Yeah, only Elwood can see him, and the fact that only Elwood can see him is infuriating because you can't know and you can understand why this is annoying for everybody uh, whether you're whether you're charmed by Elwood you're jealous or you're of or you're jealous I think jealousy is perfectly yeah. valid here but like or or if he's annoying to you because this would this would totally get your goat too I think if I think if we could see him it would hurt that I think having that little bit where it's like this is only for Elwood yeah is sweet but I think it helps the theme of the film where you are basically you are being asked to take Harvey on faith. Aren't you? Yeah. It's like some guy, there's some fucking guy down the street who builds houses for a living, walks over and just says, Hey, by the way, God talked to me. 
Turns out I'm his son. Uh, anyway, be nice to each other. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, what, what the fuck? And the guy's like, yeah, just God's my dad. Anyway, that's not important. The important thing is everyone should be nice to each other. I agree that everyone should be nice with each other, but I'm getting really <laughs> wrapped up in this thing you're saying right now. And it's like, no, 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 no. Forget it, forget it. Be nice. Oh, okay. Oh, shoot, that kid broke his leg. Here, he's cured. <laughs> I, yeah, I fixed it by touching it. No, it is it's it is a Christ allegory in a mm. lot of ways, and people just don't know what to do with him, and they want to like shut him up or whatever like that. And I don't realize is that the possibility of the fantastic and that leading us to some form of enlightenment, which I think Elwood has achieved. Yeah. Maybe it's not the most productive form of enlightenment. He doesn't seem to be getting a lot done with his day, but he certainly does seem to have approached some form of nirvana, doesn't he? His existence in the world is making it a better place. Yeah. And everybody he talks to is better off for having met In him. a very, very light way, but still. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to that. And so, yeah, for me, Harvey is one of the better Christ movies. <laughs> I think because of that, because I'm expected I'd, to take I'd this say... absolutely absurd thing on faith. Yeah. And by the end of the film, I do. I, I would say it's a, might, one might say it's a little bit more of a Buddhist allegory about sort of the the, the, the traveling. Well, I guess Christ as well. The people who sort yeah. of dispense parables and give lessons. And yeah, I think, I think they're I think they're closely Christ, related in terms of like the way that their narrative is told. Christ, when you look at sort of Christ's life, he was you know a, angry a lot. He was a firebrand and he yeah. was upturning tables and stuff. You know, politically dangerous, uh, whereas well, B- Buddha is typically seen uh, in, in depictions of Buddha as a laughing figure. Well, one could look at Harvey as a story in which uh, Christ narrowly avoided the passion. There, yeah, like he was, if, he was, if, he was betrayed by his if, closest. If Christ, person, the person closest grew to him, to old age and got to continue yeah. to spread the word, his yeah. sister betrays him uh-huh. and tries to throw him to the wolves, mm. and he narrowly avoids it. Just by luck, it's almost the, a Monty Python routine. The, the disciples are uh, all the guys in the bar. Yeah, like who just sort of hang out in the bar with him. It's like, yeah, we know Harvey's there. Yeah, basically, he's, he's, yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, mm. I like this. <laughs> I do. It's actually become one of my favorite. Christ, like this and the Last Temptation of Christ, two of my favorite, two favorite Christ movies. Anyway, uh, that is it for critically reclaimed this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Mm. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, a little uh, later slash earlier than usual. Just because of scheduling things, but we'll be back really, really soon, and we have another uh, poll for uh, you as, to take as part we in. Do every week. Uh, our patrons over Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network at any tier, even one dollar a month, get to vote for every episode of Critically Reclaimed. Uh, and your options this week all hail from Paramount Plus. Remember them? Remember that that that's a thing. They they they, uh, they don't just have Star Trek but they might as well. And uh, <laughs> our options are mostly older films, uh, uh, kind of kooky films, but uh, uh, some not. They have a, a really interesting film selection on Paramount+. Plus. They really do. Uh, so uh, let's, let's real fast. Uh, real f- uh, one of them is called Bill and Coo, which is a film about two birds. They're real birds. It's, it's not an animated film. It's in record books. I think, I think it might even mm. be in the Guinness book. of uh, One of the only... Films made with uh, like a mostly avian cast, <laughs> <laughs> the, which is a weird, weird honor to have. The, but the, there it is. The cast is accredited uh, to Jimmy the Crow. It's <laughs> one of the crows. Uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, so anyway, that's a it's a it's a it's a bird movie. It won an Oscar for being a bird movie. Uh, the feathered. This is the this is the the description on IMDb. The feathered residents of Chirpendale are terrorized by an evil crow. There you go. 
Uh, Chirpendale. Next up, uh, we have DOA, uh, which of course uh, means. Uh, I can't think of a funny acronym. It means right. dead on arrival. Dead on arrival. It's dead. It's dead or alive. <laughs> that joke the action was movie. Hey oh, hey oh. DOA is a classic film noir. Yes. Uh, uh, <clears throat> starring Edmund O'Brien, uh, and uh, it's about a guy who is actually very similar to the movie Crank. If you've seen it, it's a guy who's been poisoned, only has a couple of days to live, and he's got to figure out uh, who killed him. And uh, yeah, boy, is that a, boy is that an exciting premise? Always has been. Uh, next up, we have a film called. Gog. No, I didn't. Hey, no, I, I. No, I didn't. Just like choke a little bit. D O A G O G. There you go. Uh, it's, Gog. It's, it's it's killer robot. Ooh, it's a, it's a robot movie. A robot. Um. Uh, it, it's gonna like sabotage a space launch. And uh, ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. No, we're all gonna have a good time with that. Uh, and then lastly, uh, we have a horror film starring Vincent Price and Christopher Lee. Uh, based somewhat loosely on the works of Edgar Allan Poe called The Oblong Box, uh, which is uh, uh, about a guy who's been keeping his brother uh, prisoner in a tower and he escapes and it's all creepy and I think someone gets buried alive at some point. Uh, It is the first film to co-star Vincent Price and Christopher Lee. Uh, And uh, so those are your options. We'll review one of those on next week's program, or this week's program, I guess. The next program, anyway. Uh, and thank everybody for listening. We uh, are really, really, really appreciative of you, and uh, we we just think you're great. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of got lost train of thought. Anyway, thank you, special special thank you to all of our patrons, without whom we wouldn't exist. If you're not a patron, you want to be. We have a lot of exclusive shows available for you. Huge back catalogs of content over at patreoncom network. Uh, commentary tracks, shows about Batman, the Academy Awards, uh, Star Trek, tons of Star Trek. Oh my god. Uh, we got uh, uh, old podcasts about uh, movies that aren't on Disney Plus but are supposed to be. Uh, we got uh, old podcasts about uh, Firefly and made for TV movies. Tons of stuff over there at mm. patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, and uh, if you want to join in the conversation, you want to talk about anything we discussed on this show, a couple of ways to do that. Uh, the best way to do that is to email us. Our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. box for people who prefer P.O. boxes? If you want to send us an actual piece of physical me- uh, letter, mail, that'd yeah. be great. Um, you can send it to uh, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. Uh, we're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And um, that's about that. Until next time, we still don't know how to end this podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.